0: Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Happy Friday, everyone. Gamecock fans, J.C. Sherbert here with you. Inside the Gamecocks podcast. We are one week from the Friday before the first game, finally. God willing, and the creek don't rise. Um, South Carolina will be kicking it off uh, in eight eight. days against the University of Tennessee and all SEC schedule this year because of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, The opener, playing Tennessee in the opening game is a little different. Uh, This game is normally around Halloween. Sometimes it moves up. Sometimes it will creep into September a bit or excuse me, November a bit, and September on the other end. But for the most part, the Gamecocks and Vols don't play each other till later in the season. So it's, it's interesting. Um, Florida's number two, and that game's usually in November. So it's, uh, it's, it's quite a different deal <laughs> this season uh, in terms of how we're used to things happening. But uh, in all honesty, we should be sitting here talking about the SEC home opener against Missouri, which was origi- originally scheduled for September nineteenth, Gamecocks probably be sitting at two and zero right now, um, and people be excited for one way reason or the other. Uh, instead, of course, yesterday they announced a starting quarterback. It's Colin Hill, and despite my best intentions of warning everybody that could happen, uh, people were up in arms about it. Just didn't think it was a good idea, uh, and that's fine. Look, it's a situation where <laughs> trust but verify, I think, uh, is a is a good way to approach uh, anything you ever hear in the preseason, even if things are supposed to be really good. You know, I, I think that you kind of look back and see what this program's been through. You know, you go back to 2014. Uh, there was a documentary on Steve Spurrier during the offseason, I think. During around that time, they they hung the giant banner of him outside of williams Bryce. <clears throat> South Carolina was ranked 11th in the preseason. Our ninth uh, was an 11-point favorite against Texas A&M. Um, the guys in Vegas were on board. <laughs> and uh, Thursday night, first game ever on the SEC Network, packed house, and uh, – By the time the night was over, A&M had about 700 yards, and it was 52-28. So, so the rug gets pulled out from under you. Um, Later that season, Carolina kind of turned it around and started blowing leads left and right to Kentucky, Missouri, Tennessee. Cost them the division that year. Rug gets pulled out from under you. You know, I mean, it's – I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. It's been six years of misery – while at the same time, uh, your arch rival has climbed, you know, to new heights. You know, fortunately, you don't have to worry about those guys this year. You know, they're not playing. I, I and, and I'm not saying that's a good thing. I'm saying that, uh, you know, I was dead set against that game not being played. I mean, I grew up with that game and it means a lot. However, I, I think that, you know, sometimes people get caught up in that game and, If the Gamecocks do make some progress this year, you know, Clemson's still a national championship contender. That game may not go well. And, you know, people may get blinded by the fact that that there's been progress made, Um, you know, just because of an outcome of of 60 minutes of football. I don't know. Um, So there may be a silver lining in that. But it's been a tough time for Gamecock fans. So I understand that every decision is going to be scrutinized, especially something as important as the starting quarterback, uh, I will tell you that Colin Hill is more talented than people think. I want to give him credit for and they think there's a big gap between the two talent-wise, and there's definitely not. Um, and that's not just my opinion. It's a lot of people's opinion, the people that are there every day. Um, I think everybody likes Ryan Holinsky. I think that, you know, he's got a bright future. But right now, Colin Hill's is just better. I mean, you're not going to trot out a guy that's new to your program and unseat your starter unless the new guy is better, uh, no matter how well he knows the system, et cetera. Um, and, and they would have to be a gap with that knowledge of the system and, and not just the knowledge and getting up on the chalkboard and being able to talk about it, but actually going out and doing it. And that's what makes good quarterbacks. You know, decision-making is everything. When you play quarterback. Um, and it's not like Colin Hill's just some, you know, game managing decision maker either. The guy's got a big arm. Um, in fact, if, if I had a concern just evaluating him, and I said this yesterday on the site, uh, it's that he almost trusts his arm too much at times, tries to fit it into tight windows. He's been successful at that. And look, there's some beautiful throws the guy's made. Um but, you know, when you're in the SEC, you, you face a different level of D-back, and, and you know you got to be careful with that. Now, he has been facing good defensive backs in practice. You know, Horn and Mquamu and Jamie Robinson and R.J. Rada, those guys aren't chopped liver. I mean, they're probably better than what he faced in the Mountain West. But, um, you know, that would be my concern there is that, you know, the, 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 there is going to be a significant increase in the speed of the game. So – you know, we'll see what happens. Uh, a lot of talk about that. We had an emergency podcast yesterday with John Whittle and Hale McGranahan. Um, uh, you know, agree or disagree with the decision. That's the decision that's been made. And South Carolina is going to go try to win a football game uh, here in eight days. And so, you know, we'll see. He's an in state kid, dormant high school in Spartanburg. You know, um, get behind him. And if you're a fan, get behind him, you know, regardless of you know, what you think about the decision. And, um, you know, everybody's going to have to live with it. I, I tend to agree knowing what with the decision, know what, knowing what I know. Um, I'm not guaranteeing over-the-top success from Colin Hill because I, I know what he's been doing in practice. I know what people around the program who I trust and believe and who have never failed me think. Um, I, I don't think Mike Bobo forgot about evaluating quarterbacks um, I don't think that Will Muschamp forgot about football. You know, I've I've never seen a situation at, at any of Muschamp's stops where you look and, and you see, I mean, okay, so so maybe 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 Jeff Driscoll over Jacoby Brissett. But if you remember, Driscoll was a good runner and you know, they brought in the Boise State. O.C., and they had some quarterback run game. Now, Brissett was a runner, too. Um, I could have probably made a good argument for Brissett over Driscoll. Um, but, you know, that was a different story, too. Driscoll was a five-star guy. Brissett was a, a low four-star guy. Um, you know, so it, it wasn't like this where a guy that's come out of nowhere beats out a guy that was highly rated. But I guess you could go back and question that. But, heck, I mean – they started Jeff Driscoll continued to start him and, you know, had to replace him with Treon Harris finally, but it, but it wasn't like, you know, Muschamp was throwing Treon out there at the beginning, you know, the defensive, let's just play a defensive back at quarterback. Now he didn't do that. Um, you know, maybe you could say they, they should have started Jake Bentley and I, I do believe they should have started him from the beginning and started getting him ready in 2016. Um, that was one of the years they had the scrimmage open. He was clearly better than the other two, um, but you know, you, you want to kind of bring a guy like that along slowly when he's that young. Um, so, you know, those two situations, uh, you, in hindsight, you can say, well, there should have been a different starter. But for the most part, you know, I, I can't, I can't make that assessment, um, and, and I, I don't think he should. I mean, I, I think that you know, th- th- there's no. Massive, tra- there's a massive track record of bad quarterback play. Um, and I think bad offense in general, most or so, more so than quarterback play, because a lot of these quarterbacks are pretty good. Um, and that's fine, but that's performance, that's that's result, that's outcome. Um, it's not the preparation or lead up to or the decisions on personnel. So, I, I know it's a surprise. We live in a world where we all have our mental depth charts and we all, you know gravitate towards star ratings and automatically think, you know, a highly rated guy is so much better than guy that went to little old Colorado State. But when you look at, you know, football and what happens in the NFL and down the road, it's not always that way. I mean, the highly rated guys, I think they're probably more bad quarterbacks that make it to the NFL or that don't, that are highly rated, um, than maybe any other position. It's a tough position to evaluate. I mean, it's, it's not easy. So much is between the ears and inside the chest. Um, you know, so, I, you know, I, I, like, uh, I, I like a lot of what I've heard and seen from Colin Hill. I don't agree with the people that watch his YouTube video and like, oh, he's got a bad arm. That, that's just not accurate. I don't know what you're looking at in terms of when you're looking at arm. I, I don't know what you want. I mean, I, you know, what do you want? i think the guy's got a cannon um are you mad because you're used to watching highlights and he's throwing incompletions because you're finally watching game tape well guess what quarterbacks throw incompletions Uh, i saw one criticism that oh he just throws short passes no he doesn't (laughs) that's not true he just threw it out there and the guy ran with it well don't you want him to do that the guy was wide freaking open you want him to force a ball down the field into coverage, which is something I'm concerned about, or, or do you want him to hit the wide open guy in the flat so he can score? I mean, get a grip, people. Some of you, I mean, not all of you, very you know, not, not probably the largest uh, you know group that listens to this podcast every day, but there's some people out there with just some asinine takes. Um, and and I totally respect your opinion to disagree. But, but don't 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 bring up things like oh all he did was hit the wide open guy in the flat and he scored well that's what he's supposed to do <laughs> again decision making again you, do you want him just to chuck it all down the field for triple coverage woo <laughs> I just I just I understand and I understand people's opinions and please keep watching film though because uh, my 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 general opinion is if you if you're not high on a player but you've gone and watched the film and you just don't look at the star ratings or where he came from or his stats which is ridiculous you go and watch it then i am not going to you know i, I i'm going to blow you up off something like that when he hits the wide, when you're complaining cuz he's hitting an open receiver and he's scoring a touchdown or open guy out of the backfield but in general if you watched all that and you're not sold on Colin Hill? Then, then look, I respect it, and and there are no guarantees in the sport of football, especially quarterback. So, and I'll 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 say this too: I'm not. There are some players I'm excited about. Um, I'm excited about Ernest Jones as a junior. I'm excited to see how Zach Pickens and, and Sandage and Enigbare, uh kind of come of age this year. Uh, Brad Johnson, obviously, is a guy that I think people should get excited about. I'm very excited about Jamie Robinson. I think he's going to be a big difference maker. Uh, there are some receivers I'm excited about. I'm not going to mention them by name because, you know, I, I think collectively as a group they're going to have to figure out who's exactly – excuse me, exactly playing. But, I mean, there is some – some. there's a chance there. You know, the more I hear about Zaquandria White, you know, I think they really need to get him healthy. Um, And I've got five concerns that aren't quarterbacks here coming up, but, you know, I'm not sitting here going, predicting Colin Hill can be this, you know, superstar. Uh, I know the NFL likes him. He's been, he's a six, five quarterback with a big arm. They like everybody, six, five quarterback with a big arm. You know, they liked him last year out of Colorado state. He was on the radar. You know, the injuries are a concern that's valid, but, you know, I, I, there are football people that like it. And I, I, I put football people on the board yesterday. And everybody just takes offense. Oh, I'm I'm not a football person. And what I meant by that was, you know, people that do, like, scouting, coaching, that kind of thing. You're like, well, well, can I have – you know, somebody even said, oh, can I have a podcast because I'm a football – how do I graduate to be a football because I think I could do a podcast. I'm like, you think I'm – I'm calling myself a football person. Now, football people mean you actually work in the sport of football. You don't cover it and analyze it. You analyze it internally. How about that? So there's my explanation for that. Don't think I was being arrogant about it. I was just passing it along. Um, It's my job to bring you guys information and and to give my analysis and opinion Um, and uh, to pass along things that, you know, make sense because a lot of you have a lot of questions as to why this guy's starting. Well, here's why he's starting. He's a damn good football player. And uh, here's why it's not just Will Muschamp and Mike Bobo, you know, sitting on an Island believing that while everybody else is like, eh, you know, it's other football people. and, And that's on the other side of things from where we're at, you know, media is kind of a, middle ground, you know, trying to kind of interpret and pass things along. So anyway, I don't mean to sound like down in the dumps or anything or monotone or or, or whatever. I just I I just think that there's so much number one lack of desire to give anything that's different a chance um out there when it comes to this coaching staff and and I understand that. I mean, like I said, I, I kind of started in 2014, and I'm not going to repeat everything that's happened since then in a lot of different sports at South Carolina, but it's been a tough run. Uh, as great as the first part of the 2010s were for, for this program and, you know, other sports and things like that, you know, since the Final Four in basketball, what, what's there been to cheer for? I mean, a good, great women's program for the, you know, 20% of you that care about that sport. Uh, And I'm not downplaying it. I think it's great that South Carolina women's basketball is elite and has the, uh, you know, fan following that it does. You know, there's a reason beyond the fact Dawn Staley is a good coach and recruiter that she's able to get the top players in the country, and it's because that place is packed for women's basketball. And there's great over-the-top support for that program. But the bottom line is, for for my audience, really 20% of you care. Um, And and that's that, you know, you can tell that by data, hard data in terms of reads of articles on the Big Spur, you know, downloads and podcasts. You know, when you when you focus hard on that, that kind of thing. And I'm not knocking the sport. Uh, In fact, I thought last year's team was very exciting. I watched multiple games. But when that's your bright spot and congratulations to Asia Wilson, by the way, uh, for her WNBA award. Um, special athlete deserves all the recognition she can get just a shout out there. Um, but, but the bottom line is that's been the only bright spot, you know, men's basketball has its reasons. Um, some very legit, you know, some were just, you know, bad games at the wrong time. Why it hadn't come back. And, you know, of course the season got canceled last year, um, but they've got a really good team coming back and you got to keep believing in Frank Martin there. And I do believe in Frank Martin. I think, you know, the men's basketball program at Carolina faces unique challenges uh, that aren't necessarily solved by continuing to fire coaches. Um, but the bottom line is, is that there hadn't been a lot to cheer about. You know, there's been some wins over Kentucky and Virginia and finally beat Clemson last year. And, you know, the, the last three teams have certainly had their moments. You know, I think um, the year before, the Gamecocks beat Auburn's Final Four team at home. I think I'm right about that. But, uh, you know, th- there's been some moments for sure. Uh, and the Final Four was the greatest team Athletic achievement, or uh, I don't want to say greatest because I don't want to take away from the national championships in baseball and women's basketball, but I'm I'm going to say the most relevant nationally uh, accomplishment. Going to the Final Four in men's basketball is more relevant than winning anything in women's basketball or baseball and more relevant than going to the, the Capital One Bowl or beating Clemson. Uh, probably the second most relevant accomplishment was playing in the SEC championship game of football in 2010. Um, and, and, and you know, people, I mean, within this fan base, obviously, well, does it mean more to the fan to win a national championship or to go to the SEC championship? I, mean, I think it's winning the national championship, obviously. You know, especially for those of you that follow all the sports. Um, and, but that's different than what's relevant outside of the Gamecock sphere. And, and so because Frank Martin did that, you know, that's fine. But it has been tough since then. And, and some of you say recruiting, but he's recruited a team that could fit, you know, should finish top four in the SEC again. I don't think it's recruiting. I think it's, you know, quit losing games you shouldn't in the, in the non-conference. Uh, and then this past year, really, that lost to Vanderbilt at the end was bad. It was, it was not good with the with – the, you're on the you're right there kind of fighting for the bubble um needing momentum you want to get to eleven conference wins again, and you're playing the worst team in the league, and they cut you. That's not cool, but you know i I think you know that's tough and uh I think what what's happened with baseball and it was not a very promising start before the pandemic and an eight and twenty-two record in the SEC in that sports un, inexcusable. Um, the standards of that program are extremely high. Uh, they have a lot coming back on paper this year, but you know there's not been a lot to cheer about there either. So I say all that to say I understand the skepticism, and I understand that you know the starting quarterback job at South Carolina is an important job as it is at every major power five school and especially in the sec. So I understand that. Uh, I also know that, you know, some of the reasoning behind it's flawed, some of the reasoning behind the criticisms flawed, but I also think some people, you know, have a legit point, you know, they're like, well, this is not what we expected, you know, and then they're concerned about Hill's knees and concerned about what I was concerned about, throwing it into coverage and things like that. And it's all legit. Um, But the bottom line is, as fans, I would encourage you, encourage you uh, to get behind him, cheer for him, you know, hope he does well uh, and all that. And, uh, you know, he's an in-state kid from Dorman High School. He's coming home, Um, good arm, all that. And I I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised uh, next Saturday night. In fact, I hope you are. Uh, you can never you never can tell. <laughs> but I hope so. I hope so. And um, and I'll leave it at that. We'll talk more about Hill and everything um, coming up. I'm sure he'll meet with the media next week as the starting quarterback normally does. And says he's not a freshman. Um, so all that. Sorry. All right, so five concerns beyond quarterback, which, you know, to me is not a concern because I thought whoever won it would be OK. All uh, right. So my number one concern now that we're, we're out of camp and heading into prep for Tennessee is running back. And number one, it's the health of the room yet again. And it's frustrating to even think about that. You know, you've had this group four years under Muschamp, tons of injuries, no, no consistency because of those injuries uh, every single year um, without, without fail, without fail. I mean, could you believe last year, the first game of the Florida game after one of the biggest wins in school history the week before? Enrico Dowdle went to Georgia and bravely scratched out 80 yards of rushing um, against that defense. And, and I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Jalen Nichols was starting at right tackle that day, a freshman. I mean, can you believe the first play? He goes for seven yards around the leg, comes up Gimpy and, you know, hurt his uh, ankle or foot or whatever. Can you believe that? I mean, I was just, like, unbelievable. The Marshawn Lloyd thing was unbelievable to me. You know, the fact Tavian Feaster got banged up down the stretch last year was unbelievable to me. Uh, The fact Tyson Williams was sitting on 105 yards of receiving at Ole Miss in 2018 and finally having the breakout game everybody thought he could, and then he breaks his freaking hand. You don't see him again until the bowl game. You know, the fact that in 2018 A.J. Turner missed the first four weeks because of a concussion. Maughan Denson missed the first three weeks. And even those guys did not escape the South Carolina running back room injury bug. And people complained about Thomas Brown and Bobby Bentley, you know, their their rotation. Oh, their rotation's wrong. Dude, they were getting hurt. Guys were having to come out of the game for health reasons. You don't play them when they're hurt. And uh, that sucks because, hey, I I think when healthy, Rico Dowdle, Tyson Williams – um, Tavian and Feaster were all pretty good. So, I mean, AJ Turner was really good. So was Mon Denson. They had some pretty good backs. Um, but now you're looking at this. I mean, you, you don't, you don't, you can't go four deep because they're, they're right now. I mean, you, I guess you could. You could go four deep. You can't go five because you've got, uh, you know, a Quandre White who did scrimmage this past weekend, who I do think will play against Tennessee. He's playing hurt, but still looks really good. Uh, again, talking to contacts over the weekend, they're like, we need him to get healthy because we he to be a difference maker. Um, and then you got Kevin Harris and Deshaun Fenwick battling it out. And, you know, sometimes it's Fenwick and sometimes it's Harris. Harris has been more consistent. I think Harris is kind of a unique guy. Um, you could see a scenario where if he gets some blocking, he can really be a punishing good runner. Uh, I think Fenwick's got some some talent too. Uh, I think he's just got to keep working hard, and from what I was told, he is. And then Rashad Amos is a young freshman that they like, but he's got to you know stop fumbling, you know, get the playbook down, all that. So he's not a guy you can really count on right now, but he may have to play. So you got two guys that are kind of with White and Amos who are newcomers, uh, who are question marks in different ways. And then Harrison Fenwick. That's a lot different than when you got Marshawn Lloyd sitting up there and then White's healthy and then Amos is probably I – mean, that's, a, that's a lot different. I mean, you know, so that's that's a, yet another concern. And it's just like safety last year and the last two years. I'm sitting here with my head in my hands. I can't believe that's a, an issue again. But unlike safety where there were some recruiting misses and things like that, At this position, it's just they can't stay healthy. And it doesn't matter who it is, it seems, or who's coaching them. They've had three coaches in three years, and if you count Bobby Bentley starting the spring with them, that's really like four coaches in three years. So it's not been the coaching. Uh, South Carolina has a new strength coach, so you can't hang that around. I mean, it's it's just freaky bad luck. And so running back is my number one concern. Because uh, I do think South Carolina is going to have to be able to run the football to run this offense. There's no way around it. Um, in the SEC, you got to be able to run it. Um, number two concern: I'm, I'm starting to kind of get concerned about the offensive tackle position. As high as I am on Vershawn Lee, uh, and they are on Vershawn Lee, and as pleasant of a surprise as he is, you know, it, it concerns me. He's in the mix. They're talking about him being a starter. You know, Jalen Nichols started some last year. Ja'Kai Moore started some last year. Just the turning time was, you know, penciled in as the starting left tackle from the start and then kind of hit a wall and all that in, in camp. And he is a junior college player, newcomer, hasn't had a lot of practice. So his assignments, you know, he's having trouble getting those down. Uh, but, you know, we're eight days from the game. I mean, Nichols... Promising young player, no more promising young player. Turning time, promising older, new player. You know, Vershawn Lee obviously is doing some good things. But, like, look, look, somebody needs to go take that job. I mean, you know, either right tackle or left tackle. I mean, somebody needs to step up. And it's been described to me as a situation where it's a big, big competition because they're all trying hard and doing all that. I don't want it to sound like they're not. Um, and they're all pretty good, but it, it, they're not separating. It's one out, you know, up and down, up and down, up and down. So somebody needs to separate there. because um, And that may be something that I'm concerned about now. But once they start playing, I won't be. Even if they do start Vershawn Lee, he beats all those guys out. That's impressive. Um, and he does well. You know, you're not going to worry about it. Um, but right now, you know, that that's – Tackle is not a spot given the people that were returning that I thought would they be kind of searching for, you know, so we'll see right there. Number three is depth at tight end. Uh, They've limited Nick Mews, trying to get him back, all that good stuff. Who's after him? I don't know. I mean, I know we'll we'll register right now is and, you know, be thankful he stepped up um, because he's that attached guy. He's bigger. He can block, you know. He's had his best offseason. You know, finally looks like he's going to see the field. So, uh, you know, will register is there. I think Kevion Mullins is going to play some in the slot. They've been happy with Keyshawn Tony and what he's done this offseason. Um, and then, you know, down the road, Eric Shaw. I could see Eric Shaw, you know, in the games down the road, uh, getting a lot of playing time you know, once he kind of gets accustomed and all that. But depth at tight ends are concerned coming in. You know, you play multiple tight ends. If somebody gets hurt, God forbid Nick Muse goes down. That's going to change a lot of things because if you you don't have the guys, you know, you trust to put out there, you're not going to go with a lot of personnel with tight end packages. And I think the game guys need to do that. Number four is size on the defensive line interior to start with. It looks, looks like Jabari Ellis and Kier Thomas are indeed going to start over Pickens and Sandage. I, I'm concerned about that. Tennessee's got a fantastic offensive line. Now, I'm not saying that Jabari Ellis and Kier Thomas aren't tough as nails, and, and I'm not saying that they even frequently get pushed around. I'm just saying there's a size advantage there, and, you know, that's that's got to be something you look for, you know. And I do, I do think Pickens and Sandage are going to play a whole lot. Um, but the two seniors have the the starting jobs locked down and they're going to have to overtake them. So that, that's, that's kind of fourth on my list of concerns. And then, you know, number five is the, the you know, I talked about this yesterday, the guys on the hot seat um, and one of our listeners kind of said, well, it's probably the opportunity seat. And, and you're right. Hot seat. We, we equate that with like coaching searches and people getting fired. So hot seat probably isn't a good word to use. Uh, I was thinking like the hot chair or whatever. When is the dating game back into the game show when you get in the hot chair and they ask you questions? Then they call it the hot chair. I don't know. You know, you're talking to somebody who just started following hockey. You know, this year, and uh, I didn't know the term puck drop, so I asked about like when is first ice. <laughs> I'm probably humiliating myself right now, but when is first ice first ice? Like what in the hell are you talking about, JC? What about first ice? You know, um, that said that or whatever. Oh, by the way, speaking of game shows and the 80 in the eighties, that's where the dating game was. Wasn't it on this day in 1984, the final episode of three's company aired. Um, You know, and and the two blondes that were in the show, the two blonde women, you know, obviously good-looking women living with John Ritter. Don Knotts was the landlord for a while. Um, I had a weird crush on Janet, the brunette. I kind of liked the shorts she wore. Of course, I was like eight or nine years old, so who knows. But that's just an aside. Uh, So anyway, I said those guys were in the hot seat, hot chair, whatever you want to say. Yesterday and I mentioned Shiloh Sanders and uh, Jalen Dickerson and R.J. Robert, a hot chair. So let's call it the opportunity chair. Um, but, but I'm concerned about that other spot because, you know, as we've seen over the years, it, it, you can have three out of the four back there that are pretty good. And then one has just, one's just not good. And he's going to get picked on. I mean, that's just what happens. So, to me, preferably all three of those guys are pretty good. But to me, hopefully at least two of them. I mean, I don't know. I think everybody's kind of sick of bad safety play. <laughs> I mean, it's just uh, it's baffling. You know, it's 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 baffling. I don't you know, and, and a lot of these guys have talent so. We'll see. But those are my five concerns. I'm sure there's some special teams concerns too, but I just don't want to get into those. We'll have a special teams episode. Of, well, we, we can't devote a whole special uh, episode to special teams. We'll, we'll talk about that. You know, Parker White's been good. I think it's going to be really fun to watch Kai Kroger punt this year. I almost don't even want to talk about it because I, I don't think a lot of people realize how hard it is or how different it is. Let's not say hard. Let's say different to field a left-footed kicker, punter, because the ball comes out differently. Uh, And then on top of that, you know, fielding punts is a lost art. I remember it used to be, like, rare where we see somebody fumble a punt. Now it could happen at any time, you know. It could happen at any time, you know. So we'll see. We'll see that. Muschamp keeps talking about the missile position, which I've never heard of. Um. Maybe I have heard of the missile positional. Maybe that's in the middle or something. There's the gunner. There's the missile. The missile. <sighs> he was talking about the third-team missile the other day. I would love, love Muschamp when he does that. Let's get the third-team missile. Let's get on the chalkboard talk about who's the who's your third-team missile. Yeah, I, I, you know, as a football person and – uh uh, wait a minute. I can't use the term football person anymore. Football person in the sense where I love the game and I, I I sort of love anything people talk about about it. Talking about the third team missile fires me up. I'm not talking about that I'm a football person like a dang NFL scout, like some people were accusing me of. Um, and no, NFL scouts are way too busy to have podcasts. So are coaches. Some coaches have podcasts, but they're, it's not necessarily – they're not podcasting every day like I am. So let's get that straight. When I say football people, I'm not lumping myself into that. That would be arrogant. It's extremely arrogant. Um, Almost as arrogant as uh, John Ritter's character in Three's Company. I don't know. Maybe he wasn't arrogant. I didn't like him too much, though. <laughs> Coming, knock on our door. Coming, I'm in a weird mood today, people. Um, all right, so the safety spot, yeah, we talked about that. That, that has to be fine, and, and you know, def- so there's two defense, three offense. I'm, I'll be honest, I'm more concerned about what's going to happen on offense and defense. Um, I do think there's hope at the receiver position. I did not include a receiver. I'm, I'm going to have hope for that position, because when you break it down individually, there's a lot of talent and speed and athleticism. Josh Vann's the seventh guy. He was third last year. That means people have passed him. Uh, I also believe that, you know, when you have a coach that, that coaches you up and gets you ready to play, you can play receiver as a true freshman. We've seen it at South Carolina many, many times, many times. So, you know, I'm encouraged by that. I may be completely wrong. They may not be able you may, you may, we may come back um, after the Tennessee game and nobody's upset at Colin Hill because he's hitting guys in the hands left and right, but they're dropping it, not getting open, et cetera. But, um, I just don't think that's going to be the case. I, I just, I really believe they're going to, they're going to squeeze blood out of a turnip this year and get the absolute most out of these guys. And, if you do that it, – it, and it's also – I'll be honest. It's also because you keep hearing the explosive play talk uh, in practice. Explosive play, explosive play. Um, and uh, that's encouraging, and I think that's encouraging to a lot of people internally. I don't think they want to make a big deal out of it. Um, you know, so because it's practice, and you never know. But But I do think if you actually take the time to say – Okay, well this guy's starting here, he's a 4'4 guy. Um this guy starting here, he's a six foot, 210-pound 4'4 guy. This guy starting here, he's a 6'2, 180-pound freshman in great shape. That's a 4'4 guy. Or he's the 6'3190 transfer that's a 4'5 guy from Wingate, who's makes play after play after play and is very sure-handed. Or uh, he's the elusive six-foot, 205-pound guy that, that's a dual-threat quarterback, you know, conversion that's got extremely quick feet that can make people miss in a phone booth uh, that you can get the ball to. Or he's your, you know, your third-team quarterback, Luke Doty, who runs 4-4, you know, or he's Jakari Caldwell, who's a 6'5 guy, 205 that, you know, can just snatch it out of the sky. Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you kind of – you know, you can you don't have a ton of returning stats there, but you do have some talent and athleticism. And so it just all kind of depends. And, and I think that's probably another reason Colin Hill is the starter, is because you got a lot of fresh faces and there a lot of guys that just haven't done much, and they need a guy to get them the ball. So those are my five concerns. And receiver's not one of them. Let's go to the mailbag. Thank you, thank you, thank you for all the mailbag questions. Again, there's two ways to get that to me, insidethegamecocks at gmail.com, or you can go to Twitter and tweet at the Bigsburg Pod, and uh, we'll certainly answer all of your mailbag questions for you. Uh, I love doing that. It kind of helps me with the show every day because it gives me some other counterpoints to talk about. By the way, by the way, um, I did mention yesterday. You know, Colin Hill is uh the first starter from Dorman since dot dot dot. Okay, CD Turner, the long snapper during the Spurrier era, and I'm, I'm I'm sorry that I don't I didn't pay a lot of attention to like where the long snappers came from. I knew he was the long snapper. I didn't realize he went to Dorman because when you follow recruiting and cover recruiting, you don't really rank. The long snappers and, and track them like you do the other players. So I apologize for not knowing that. He's the last starter from Dorman. The last starter on offense or defense for Dorman was Hart Turner, a uh, tight end during the Holtz era. Uh, also, other Dorman starters, David Turnipseed on the defensive line was one of them. Um, certainly, uh, you know, certainly. There have been some others back through the years. Terry Gilliam, I think, was a recruit uh, for the Gamecocks, um, you know, in in football. So, C.D. Turner, there you go. Last Dorman Cavalier to start for the Gamecocks. So, now, if you talk about Spartanburg County, all right. So, the last guy from Boiling Springs, and and if if there's a special teamer, I'm sorry, uh, Dylan Thompson. All right, last guy from Chapman. All right, and before Dylan, it was Phil Petty. Last guy from Chapman, Debo Samuel. Before that, it was Toby Cates. Last guy from Woodruff, I don't remember. Probably Marcellus Dial coming up. I don't remember anybody from Chesney or Landrum uh or, or Broom. I'm sure I'm missing somebody from back in the day that went to Broom. Burns, of course, was uh Nick Jones and then, or no. Chavis Dawkins may have gotten a start for the Gamecocks. Before that, Nick Jones. Before that, Marcus. Um, Spartan High, obviously. uh, Tavian Feaster last year. Uh, So Spartanburg County Schools. Shout out to my home county. I just kind of felt like doing that today. All right, mailbag. I'm sorry for delaying there and getting off track, but uh, those are kind of fun topics for me. All right, James. Jason. Jason, not James. Come on, Jason. Jason emails and he says, JC, thanks for the podcast. Really look forward to listening every time you post. I have one real question and one fun one. Okay. First, if this year goes well for Colin Hill, do you see him sticking around next year? I do not. And, and I'll tell you why. It's not, I think it's just because of the situation he's in three ACL tears. If you make it through this year injury free and you have a really good season in the SEC, um, and you're a six five quarterback with an arm. You're going to have a chance to play pro football. Why come back and risk it? And and this will be his like fourth year of football. It's not like he's him. Mean, he's an older, older guy now. Technically, he's got you know two more years. But I I tend to think if things don't go well, he he may hang it up. May stick around and be the backup for one more year, conceivably. But. You know, I, I I think that this is it. This is his opportunity. And, and quite frankly, I hope he gets it done. If he gets it done, it's good for him. It's good for the Gamecocks. It's good for Mike Bobo. It's good for Will Muschamp. It's good for the fans. You know, why would you not want him? It's good for the state of South Carolina. I mean, why, why would you not want him to be successful? Um, and I think it's good for Ryan Holinsky if he is, because Holinsky needs work, folks. He needs to keep getting better. Um, he was not as good as people think last year. Um, All right, so a fun one. If JC owned the Gamecocks, (laughs) what would you do to the stadium? I would wish we would add club-style boxes to the sides of the big board to close the stadium in. Thanks for all the info and for allowing me an hour or so to get away from all the crap going on in the world. That that means a lot to me, Jason. Thank you. Um, That's kind of what it's all about. That's what's made doing this podcast, which is basically me talking for an hour every day about the Gamecocks worth doing because i get emails like that all the time it's kind of an escape that's what we're, we're kind of in the entertainment business even us non-football people that love football or however you want to describe it it's all entertainment you know, and 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 entertainment should be an escape uh and i'm sorry quite frankly that you know sports and politics when we're talking about not having a season collided and so you had to talk about it but um you know I've kind of shot away from that lately because we got a game to play coming up. Got a season. Um, I'm with you. Club-style boxes to the sides of where the big board is. I will tell you what else I would do, and it drives me crazy and absolutely insane that this has never happened, and I don't know why. Acoustically, in the stadium, you can hear the opposing band – that sits in the southeast corner of the end zone louder than you can hear the Gamecock band. And that has been the case for years. I would move the visitors to the north end. Now, maybe if you enclose it with boxes, it would make a difference. But that, that that south end zone in South Carolina, Mike Leach said it's the loudest place in the world. Imagine how much more loud it would be if you didn't have 5,000, you know, Kentucky fans plus their band blaring at you. So I would, I would move those, the visiting folks to the end zone uh, on the north side, below the, the boxes, uh, sort of like Clemson. Clemson's got a little visitor set, visitor's band below the west zone, uh, and then they've got a little section across from that, I think for parents and stuff, and everybody else is in the upper deck. That's what South Carolina needs to do. And then you move the students and the band over to the, 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 the end of the state, you know, where the zone is. Now, there's some people that, you know, like sitting in the shade below the zone. Well, just move them. And if you build boxes on the other end, they're not going to complain if they have to move the other side. But I, I don't know why that hasn't happened. And it's obvious. I mean, do you guys remember the 2000s when Tennessee come to town and, boy, Holtz could never beat them? And, you know, they'd be rolling, rocking and rolling, right? And uh, Gamecocks would be up, and then inevitably it would be a really close game. And inevitably Tennessee would go on that one drive where they'd just line up and run it over and over. And they'd go down and score and win the game. It seems like it happened like two or three years in a row. Did you not get sick of hearing Rocky Top? Over and over and over again. Um, so, so that would be the number one thing I would do in terms of, you know, home field advantage. Uh, and I would add those boxes and stuff on the side of the big board. And I, I would also, I don't, you know, I see. I don't think you, I don't think you need to enclose. Like you don't need to build another zone on the north end. Um, but I, I would do some things around that end in terms of some luxury seating, kind of like Clemson's West Zone. And then I'd put the Jumbotron uh, on the top of that, and then I would put another big Jumbotron on top of the zone on the other side. That may be a little gaudy, but um, that's what I'd do. And I, I'd continue doing what they're doing. I like the big Gamecock statue. I don't care what people say about it. I, I think it's, it's, it's unique. It's, uh, it, it is weird looking. I mean, it's, 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 it certainly is a big Gamecock. <laughs> Uh, But, hey, I I think the more unique things you have around that stadium, considering that, you know, when Mike McGee was the coach or the AD and before Steve Spurrier was the coach, the place looked like a a mausoleum. You couldn't even tell the Gamecocks played there. Steve Spurrier changed that. Um, and, And you look at it now and it looks like a legit SEC ballpark, you know. Um, and, I, and I think, too, that with the pandemic, it, it's going to be a year or two before people really start to like the fan amenities and, and the new, new sections and stuff like that. It's really unfortunate that they did all that, and then only 20,000 right now can go in. But, um, so, yeah, that's what I'd do if I owned the Gamecocks. I would, I would do that. I would get that damn opposing band out of that corner because that, that, I mean, it, it's obvious to anybody. You can hear it all over the stadium. And I've never understood that. I'm like, why would you do that? Only in South Carolina. <laughs> uh, so I don't know. So we'll see kind of what happens. James, thanks so much for your wonderful email and for your compliment. And thanks for listening to the podcast. By the way, speaking of compliments, we're trucking right along to our goal by the end of the season, 1,000 five-star ratings on Apple pods and one, and, you know, hopefully a 1,000 reviews, Uh, The reviews are coming, uh, but I appreciate – we got three or four – we got about three or four new ones a day. I appreciate you guys taking the time uh, to go in and and rock and roll. Um, You know, God, I just saw something on Twitter that drives me crazy. It's tough for fans who watched the 2014 Georgia-South Carolina game to fully trust Bobo. That play was wide open, by the way. It was wide open. Something wrong with the play call. Somebody missed a block. Hunter uh Hudson Mason one hopped it out to the guy. He just missed it. Now, should he have done it when he was running it straight up people's butt? Maybe not. But it wasn't like it was a terrible play call. It might have been. But uh you can't get too cute. And and for those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, uh go back and watch the fourth quarter of Carolina, Georgia in 2014. All right, Randy Watson. Randy Watson. Oh, it is the Randy Watson from coming to America. JC, love the podcast. Appreciate all you do. I've heard you say a lot of positives about Bobo's offense, but curious what concerns outside of the on-the-field talent do you have regarding his offense this season. Um, I, I, I'm not concerned about it getting too conservative. Uh. I'm concerned a bit about the complexity of it. Uh, and and I'm concerned if Carolina is going to be able to run kind of the full breadth of, of of what that offense entails. The, The best thing about that offense is, um, it's multiple and it's different and it's, it's not like today's, it's different than, you know, the trendy offenses these days where you just go, 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 go. Um, it's it really is a pro style system, but it is somewhat complex. So that would be my concern about it. I, I don't I don't have concerns about Mike Bobo calling ball plays. I, I think I think you're going to see a in terms of what makes sense a a dramatic change in that and 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 all that. I'm concerned more about can the players go do it, and then if they have to dial it back a little, what does that look like? you know, all that. So, so my concerns are more, has there been enough time and reps? And they say there has been, most of them said that, you know, to get the things in that, uh, that you need to get in to really run this thing. I mean, you know, you look back, I watched a lot of, believe me, I watched a lot of Colorado state and Georgia. Um, and you know, one of the reasons I'm a believer in Mike Bobo, uh, is, you know, people talk about the 2014 Carolina-Georgia game. Uh, I was at the 2012 Alabama-Georgia game for the SEC championship, and with freshman at running back and Aaron Murray against a great Alabama defense, you know, they went up and down the field, and they almost won the game. I mean, they were sitting – the guy fell down at the six-yard line, about to go in 32 – it was 32-28 Bama. And they could have won the national championship that year. And that would have been something for the Gamecocks because if that would have been the case, Georgia would have won the national title. South Carolina would have beaten the national champions 35-7. to (laughs) But um, I I think, too, you know, the inconsistencies that Georgia has had as a program have somewhat continued under Kirby Smart. I mean, they're good for a loss that makes you scratch your head every year. Um, and, and when Mark rigged Mike Bobo were there, a lot of those were you know South Carolina was really good at the time, but you know that 2014 game, you scratch your head, that was a terrible defense. Uh, Georgia did put 35 on the board. That a great offense that year, but you know losing that game was tough. So I, uh, I, I I'm, I'm what what concerns me is more like the players. Do, are the, can the players do it? Do they understand it? And then how much, when he dials it back and has to dial it back, is it going to – will it become more, you know, I guess not conservative necessarily but appear to be more conservative and, and less creative? Because uh, obviously the less plays you have, you know, you're dialing it back or whatever. Or the less formations you can do because guys don't know, that kind of thing. So that, that's my concern. It's more more the players and, and, and their grasp of it because it's a new system, and, you know it's a little bit more complex than, you know, I guess, uh, what they've had, you know, with, with McClendon and, and before that Roper Roper actually was, had a lot of, a lot of stuff. I mean, they would work on, you know, 20, 30 plays during the week and all this other stuff and it was good and they felt good going in. They never call it. So, uh, I think conservative wasn't the word for him, you know, as far as his play-calling ability went. But um, I think that, you know, Bobo's definitely not a conservative play-caller. He's a a guy that wants to, you know, sort of run it down your throat, um, go with different tempos, and then hit the big play. Um, And I think that's why they've had explosive plays in practice, you know. I think he's dialing them up, so – That will happen. I appreciate that, Randy Watson. I appreciate that so much. Um, Again, at the Big Spur Pod on Twitter if you want to talk. All right. So we're heading into the weekend. Uh, Maybe there will be a bonus pod this weekend. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I'll have the time. I'm quoting the movie Old School. Been a little weird today, folks, but, uh, you know, just wanted to kind of come at you with the Colin Hill stuff, come at you with my concerns, read your mailbag questions and all that, and uh, hopefully bring some humor to your day. (laughs) They're laughing at you, not with you, JC, I know. Uh, Anyway, please continue to subscribe to this podcast on uh, Apple Pods. It won't cost you anything to do that. won't cost you anything to rate it five stars. won't cost you anything to uh, write a review. Um, also, we're available on Spotify. I think we're on the Stitcher app as well. It's a podcasting app for those of you that have Android uh, and listen to podcasts on your cell phones. Uh, also, don't forget we had a new JC and Morgan podcast this week. Uh, you can find that on, on all those places I mentioned to you uh, as well. All right. This has been JC Sherbert. This has been the Inside the Game podcast for Friday, September 18th. Everyone have a great weekend, and we'll holler at you soon, maybe sooner than you expect, on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast.